Hello friends, how's it going? Matt here and you are listening to Looking Sideways, the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. I'm back in the shed, I'm back in Brighton, a bit of rain, a bit of summer rain going on on the roof of the shed, but um, thanks for making your way to my little corner of the internet and I hope you enjoy this episode with Cliff Capono, surfer, scientist, environmentalist, commentator, and somebody I was introduced to by our mutual friend Eski Britton after we chatted back in May. After that chat, Eski was like, you've got to get Cliff on the show. I'd love to hear you two have a conversation. And she very kindly teed that one up. It took us a while to actually sit down, mainly because I had to cancel our initial um, time after a very eventful day in France, as I explained to Cliff at the beginning of this conversation. But uh, yeah, we eventually got it together at the end of August 2023. And this extremely enjoyable, I'm going to say nourishing and thought-provoking chat as a result. I did really, really enjoy this one. I think one reason, weirdly, was because Cliff is in Hawaii. So we did it at 7am my time on a bright Saturday morning. Um, I do always enjoy getting up early when I've got something interesting to do and starting my Saturday by chatting to one of surfing's most interesting characters definitely counts as, as one of those. Plus... This morning, and I am recording this a couple of hours after we chatted, um, was one of those late summer mornings where, you know, you get up early, you can feel the bite of approaching autumn in the air. There's a crispness. There's a chill. Um, Love this time of year. We're back off to France in uh, two weeks. I'm going to go stay in Souville Hague for a week, which is a nice little surf town, kind of on the north, it's just near Cherbourg. Um, on the northwest tip of the Cottontown Peninsula um, and I'm very much looking forward to it because it's going to be that classic yeah just before autumn comes in the end of summer and hopefully a few waves um, that like I say sense of place definitely contributed to why I enjoyed this conversation so much but it was really very relaxed very enjoyable and also offered certainly me and hopefully you a unique perspective on many subjects cliff is a brilliant communicator but what i really enjoyed about this was his ability to connect so many different and at times pretty complex topics into one coherent easily accessible narrative that always came back to his reverence for both surf and hawaiian culture and always you know really helped explain how he's ended up in the position that that he's in now and perhaps it's because of cliff's fairly unusual career path through surfing which he explains in some detail. Maybe it's because of his deep knowledge of Hawaii's colonial history and how his own story and the story of community fits into this wider tale. Personally, I just think it's because of his openness, his curiosity and his high level of self-awareness and emotional intelligence and also his humility. These are all the things that make him a really popular and much-loved character and they're all on full display during our conversation. The result is a chat that sent me on my way with a sunny bedewed spring in my step and gave me much to mull over thank you cliff for this one always so great when guests understand what i'm trying to do with looking sideways and approach the chat with the right spirit i enjoyed this very much and i hope you do too so here's me and cliff capono enjoy place in uh, Normandy in northern France and it's like a you know it's a big old project it's like a huge it's like a huge old barn 
probably like 200 years old um and like a load of like an acre of land um so we're just kind of getting our heads around it so that trip we did in uh so we were there for six weeks and it was we were basically just really like trying to understand like like the the water management of the land really like the drainage of the land Mm. and we had this like crazy 10 days of rain so and you know like it's over there obviously it's like the land has to drain through ditches which like um and yeah it turned out our ditches weren't sort of uh clear enough so we had this like crazy storm and then the day we were going to do the podcast like this super fucking hectic day where i was like ah this is gonna flood (laughs) like oh no fuck like it didn't flood in the end and 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 we were like we were also just kind of like well, you know, we sort of need to know this, like we need to see this, like we need to understand like what's actually going on so we can, you know, as we as we go into this project. So, we, you know, it's kind of a case like holding nerve a little bit as well. But yeah, pretty, when I sent that picture that I sent you was like the ditch that, that takes the water off our land basically did burst its banks, but just outside the property. So mm. all went down that lane. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty hectic. So I got back from there like... Uh, a week ago and wow. I'm back, back in England now. Yeah. But things are all good. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's just a really interesting project. I mean, you know, I was brought up in a city. Um, so I think for me, like one of the most interesting things has been just realizing how little I understand about like what, how very basic things actually work because mm. obviously growing up in a city, you just take so much for granted. Like mm. you don't, there's not much unless you're curious there's just not much cause to even think about a lot of you you just take for granted the way that things work in terms of like where your waste going where your water's coming from like rainfall like you know you you don't even think about that so for me it's been humbling in a lot of ways because I've been a bit like fucking hell I am ignorant (laughs) (laughs) like I actually you know like how have I never even so for me I'm I'm just enjoying that you know I'm just enjoying that that aspect of the whole thing of just actually feeling kind of humbled but just learning like so much as well and and yeah enjoying that process I mean I think it's going to take us like I don't know it's it's a a decade's worth of work this Mm. it's a a big it's a big job so which is kind of what we signed up for you know we want to my wife is um very very um she's a builder and a carpenter so she's i mean it's all her like vision you know mm. um so yeah we're, we're, we're it's it's good it's good to slow down and do something like super different you know compared to what i normally do how about you how are you i'm good yeah um it's nighttime here so just finished out the day had a um pretty pretty long day um just trying to pack everything in to the <laughs> into the day as much as I can. Um, now that, now that I feel COVID has kind of lifted a bit the last year, maybe I think yeah. I've been, I've been doing a lot more traveling and kind of getting back onto that, that program, which has been a bit weird. I, I felt like I used to be so good at, um, I used to be pretty good. I felt at like logistics and finding out where to be and how to be there and everything. And, I got like COVID fog and I'm like, Oh wait, I have to go to the airport an hour early. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? It's funny because that, that period was such a 
it forced us all into such a different lifestyle and then when and then and then when we ended up going back into our old lifestyles I did find it really discombobulating like especially like the travel thing like you say you know like probably similarly to you I've always done a lot of traveling over the years and yeah I found all those things that I'd taken for granted suddenly was like whoa okay yeah <laughs> what am I doing now you know yeah which is I, I I mean obviously it was the the tragedy of the the pandemic and, and things like that were you know bad and and kind of how the kind of divided our communities a bit <clears throat> it was unfortunate but in terms of like not having to uh, feel obligated to show up to someone else's plan. It was pretty nice. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, that goes across, I think both scientific and surfing kind of terms. Um, we, we get into this, these institutions and for me kind of arriving into the surf world a bit late, maybe um, a lot later than a lot of my peers and, and kind of a, a late in general, I, I just kind of didn't realize how um, weirdly demanding the surf industry can be uh, from time to time. And, you know, yeah, it, it's a lot of obligation. And I think the more you take from the surf industry, the more it, it's just like any job, the, the more you're expected to put that time back in regardless of whether you think it's worth the time or not worth the time uh it's and i think it's interesting to see um the people who are involved in the surf industry at a very young age i don't think they've ever learned how jobs work and how employment works this um working ethic so you know I feel for a lot of surfers and surfing it, it's seen and by a lot of people or maybe outside of the industry, surfing is like a very short term career. Yeah. And I, I think really a lot has to do with it is that surfers don't understand. I mean, surfers aren't given that opportunity to understand the work ethic of you show up, you get something and you have to do something. And it's yeah. not just you having a good time. Um, it's, yeah. it's an actual, um, you have to contribute. And if you, I think, learn that and you start to crack that code, I think you can have a long career in surfing yeah. if you understand the basics like anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it's referred to in in the in our industry as like professionalism, isn't it? You know, like this, like, oh, they get it. They're professional, you know. But like you say, it's one of those things you almost have to unpick as you go. It, like, because a lot of people are so young. I mean, what you say is really interesting because I was just thinking when you were talking, that notion of success because you've had a busy year right you know obviously you've got your surf career you've got your scientific career you've been doing like commentary on events you've you know you've got film projects you've got so much going on and it is the case that the more things you get rewarded with the more kind of work it actually involves doesn't it really like and it's it's like take the commentary thing I mean that's I've been looking enough to do a bit of commentary as well and in the snowboarding world and you know the amount of work involved is 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 really actually quite formidable isn't it if you want to do it well and and then if you want to pursue that as like another part of your thing it's you know I looked at that and I was like I actually don't have the energy for that like that's not that's not you know maybe I'll do it every now and again but that's not something I'm actually going to pursue like 
because I just couldn't really cope with it, you know, as a, and it's it. I, what, one of the questions I wanted to ask you when you were just talking then was like, because obviously you, as you mentioned, came into this a bit late and you've got a different perspective really, because you've got your other things. Do you think that's helped you see it in this way, like compared to perhaps some of your peers? Oh yeah, totally. I, I, I had jobs before, like real, real jobs, like yeah, <laughs> jobs. <laughs> that, <laughs> like, that'll help. <laughs> like I, I had, I was hustling and scheming and selling things just to afford boards and to go on trips and just just to um, fund the habit. Really, that was kind of my my day to day life. And science became a part of that. Like scholarships were my form of work. So I figured. If I just work hard for 40 minutes a day, like per class, so however many classes that is, like it's still less than like an eight hour job. So for me, like I'm working maybe five hours a day really hard to get a grade. Just like you're you're almost like um, told what to do and then just repeat it once a month on a test. And then you can get grades that are like imaginary. They don't really mean anything and they, they can't be valued by it. It's this weird thing that they tell you how to get it. You get it. And then you show your grades to the school and they give you money. And you got and opportunities. You can, I just seen it as like they give you a free place to live and yeah. they give you like a meal ticket and they like pay for your school. It, like for me, I was like, this is easier than what I would have to do to survive, like either construction or fishing or like a public safety officer in the ocean or something. Like to me, I was like, this is the cheat code. I'm just going to go to school for five hours a day and surf the rest of the time. Right. Yeah. And, and did, did you, did you have mentors that kind of encouraged you down that path? I I, I would, I would say my I don't know if I had really mentors, but I had um, encouragement to the point of it, it seemed a bit like a obligation to have to do it. Um, what? Cause you were like the bright kid. Yeah. I don't know if I was very bright. I think it was more, I, there's just no one else in it. So if you show a little bit of like, you get like a B on the science exam, you're now the smartest Hawaiian because no one else is taking it. You're the only Hawaiian really in the class. So right. it's like you get the B that you can even hang in a space that no other Hawaiian kids are in. Right. Like your family, my family at least really were like, put that on me. Like, Oh, you're like the hope. You're the hope that yeah, that's what we I can do it. That's what I wondered. Um, because just from my own personal experience, like, I mean, I think I'm a little bit older than you. I'm in my late 40s now, unbelievably, that seems to have happened. Um, and I've been thinking about this quite a lot, really, because I went to university, at college, and it was in a similar way that you're describing, it was a little bit preordained in my family because I was, I was like, like my parents didn't go to university, you know, like, and so having a and they're like working class so like having a kid that could go to university was like a big thing you know like mm. and from a, from quite an early age I was sort of like again like because I did pretty well at like primary school I was like that's what you're gonna do 
you know yeah. like and that's so i was just a bit like okay well that's what i'm gonna do and quite similarly as you're describing i mean obviously we've got very different backgrounds like but my um i was kind of the same i was like wow this is a, so i mean i did english lit so i had two hours a week <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah. like and it was it was like the, the other 30 hours was like well you're gonna read you know like mm. and obviously I was like mm, yeah all right um <laughs> but now that I'm thinking about you know a bit older I'm because then when I when I really got into snowboarding I started traveling and and like I had some friends who were very, who had just hadn't followed that path and they'd like just in, in the same way that I imagine you've got friends who just followed surfing and I was a bit like, yeah, okay. I didn't even really think of that because for me, it was like what I was really told I was going to do. And and I, when I realized, I was like, yeah, it's interesting to think back, isn't it? If I'd have had a little bit more, I don't know, like independence maybe, or I don't know. It's just interesting to think, isn't it? Like when you're young, the paths that you get set set on, you know, and how, how you reflect on them when you're a little bit older, you know? Yeah, I... I honestly wasn't that great at science. Like I got like, like I, I got my degrees in different kind of parts of science, um, but all, eventually ended with a degree in chemistry. And I got a D in chemistry in high school. Like I, I barely passed. Um, I guess it's not passing, but I didn't pass. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I didn't get into college like when I applied. So like it was, um, yeah, it just was like a, a I don't know, but just when I went home, I, I, if I showed I did well in school versus well in like some amateur contests, like I was, I was better at surfing than I was at science for right. sure. Did and you think, did you think you would become a professional surfer? Like, was that what you, no, was that... no. I mean, secretly every kid wants to be that. Yeah. And it, it got to a point where, um, my, I mean, my, my peer group is like dusty Payne. And like yeah. Marzo and Jordy Smith and Dane were like a little older or whatever, but like that's like that's the standard. There, there, and, and you know when your your peers are some of the greatest, really of the, our generation, it's really hard to imagine. Not not to say like I thought whether I thought I was good as them or not good as them, it was irrelevant because they were chosen, and I wasn't sure. stupid. I understood there's room for a select few and all the positions that I can see have been filled and the place that I believe I can occupy. There is no place for that. You know, I I wanted to exist in a space where you could um, voice your opinion and you can ask questions and you can uh, challenge certain ideologies and you can bring a bit of, um, comedy with reverence and it just it didn't it just didn't exist it was um yeah and so i i just thought i i was smart enough to realize i won't be able at 18 i'm not going to get paid to surf that's i i understood that um so i said how am i going to make money to surf because in my mind um I was even late at stand-up board surfing. I mean, I surfed my whole life, bodyboarded, body surf, canoe, everything. But I didn't start board surfing until I was 14. Right. So I was like the shittiest guy. Um, and the only reason I could, I, it was like I was the worst of the peer group 
but I could hang in the surf. So it was kind of like, I, I just was like, okay, I remember when my, cause I'm from another Island. And I remember when my friend, he would go to nationals and he would, he was like our, the best guy surfing this guy, Kevin Kapsky, great surfer. He's a fireman now, uh, but he was competing in the amateurs and going on these. And he would always come back to me cause I didn't have money to compete in any of that stuff. So I, I'd ask him and we surf together, like, what's the best surfing that's happening? Like, tell me, tell me. Cause there's like no internet and like all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like his DVDs back then, no Instagram. So I'm like, who, who's the guy? Like who's, <laughs> and he's like, there's this guy named Clayton from Maui and he's fucked, like does crazy <laughs> moves. And I'm just like, but he, this guy, Kevin was so good at surfing. Right. And he, he would win everything on the island. And then he'd go and I'm like, you lost? Like, <laughs> what? And he's like, this is guy Clayton. He's like crazy. He does all these moves that no one's ever seen before. And, you know, he won nationals. And I right. Was like, what? And that was like Clay's come out here. He had, then Young Guns 2 came out. And then I was like, whoa, that's Clayton. Like, that's <laughs> the guy that Kevin lost to. And it, it was like, I'm just like, okay, dude, like, I, I'm not. Right. I don't even have it was that was the way you yeah. enter an amateur contest you go to nationals well first you have to get enough money to become a member uh to yeah. be in amateur surf league or whatever then so I like it's like the barriers are so great it was like I had to figure out how to just become a member and then you got to pay like whatever the fees were and it might have been 20 bucks or maybe 40 bucks a contest but that was like that could have been a thousand dollars for me. Like I, I had like zero money to yeah. compete in anything. So like first barrier, becoming a member, second, pay for contest, third, get to another island to compete in like the regionals. Then you gotta go to nationals. And then you, there's all these other people who are like so gnarly, like that are out there. And then you got this guy Clayton from Maui that's like blowing people's minds away. And now he's on like the Quicksilver board short video that come in like the dvd that comes in your board charts i just was like it just there was no one in my universe and even a hawaiian kind of mentor in my from my island and from my town especially that was like this is the way yeah this is how you do it and it's achievable it was like there, there was nothing. It was, it was crickets, really, in that world. Right. Whereas in science, it was still a super faraway dream to even become some sort of scientist. But there are people saying, like, we'll pay you to live to do this. Yeah. So like, you're kind of like, okay, like, be able to afford food or work construction and maybe never get to surf and get worse at surfing. Like, to yeah. me, that's what I, I was like, oh, academics is like, a clear path and i may not ever become a professional surfer getting paid but i had it in my mind like i want to develop my ability uh to be able to surf with these these people who are getting paid uh at least on like an industry standard like i like i didn't have to in my mind i didn't have to hang with clay as a young guy i wanted to and i'm like hey, yeah i'm gonna i i went to maui and i, I surf with him and like did that stuff because i like he became this fable that i had to find like i had to see it from my own eyes because we know back then uh i mean it's probably different for the younger people now who just see this um 
yeah, identity it's, it's... of landing all the moves and doing everything. And now I, I would say the acrobatics and performance are, are on a consistent level are way more, it's way more consistent nowadays, I, I would say uh, by far than like the 2000s, like, you know, like 2010s and things like I started surfing with, with those guys who had crazy sections, spent two years, one year making these sections. You're like, man, they land everything and you surf them. They're falling like yeah. 80% of the time. And they just work for those two minutes for a whole year. And that kind of gave me this weird confidence. Like, ah, they're human. Yeah. You know? Like, and that's not the real. And it was almost kind of a realization pre Instagram and all that, that whatever the industry is feeding us we have to take a critical mind to what that is happening um yeah and they aren't like these gods and in my mind i was like okay i can it was just my belief one day i'll be able to surf at these places with these people and we'll all be surfing together and there will be a level of respect that um will supersede any sort of financial compensation for being out there and, and that was more my goal getting paid i just wanted to be able to afford to live that was kind of my main priority yeah. in life at the time yeah yeah I mean, and that's that perspective that you describe is again like such a healthy thing to learn at such an early age when you and to work that out because because let's be honest there's a there's a lot of smoke and mirrors with with the way that these things get presented by you know the industry and oh i mean still today yeah I mean, i'm a part yeah. of it like i i i hope i i don't ever want to come off as some sort of like authority on environmental perspectives or like i don't know even sometimes i feel like i i like i have these ideas and and i do challenge a lot of things but again it's like i don't want to I don't, I don't want that to be misinterpreted in a way where people who aren't quite at a certain level of intellectual maturity take that as like a threat to their own life or a threat to their own being. Yeah. Uh, so I, sometimes I do reserve some, some perspectives that I, I may have. Um, yeah. I could do with learning that. <laughs> I mean, it, well, it's like, I, I, people who know me, know me and I, I'm unfiltered, but obviously when it comes down to, um, certain public conversations, I think I have to think beyond just my own ego and think, okay, what is, what's the purpose of some of these situations and, and how can I be a best servant to that? Um, not like a servant, you know, but how can yeah. I be a best service to Yeah, no, I understand. The goal. Understand. Have yeah. you always had that um, ability to kind of analyze your own actions? Because that's, I think that's quite rare, isn't it? <clears throat> that you can, um, well, it sort of speaks of a high level of emotional intelligence that you can, that you can like watch yourself operate and then make a decision about how you're going to come across. If that makes sense, you know, it's not super common. And like you say, I think in in our industry, there's there's not a lot of that thoughtfulness, perhaps, like to think about how you, you, you know, what I mean, right? Like, yeah, have you, have you always had that ability to do that? I. I think so, mostly because I think um, I I grew up in a I grew up in um, like a a very reactive 
community. Sure. So I, I just was always very curious because what I felt about my identity was one thing and what I was kind of uh, the narrative that I belonged to was something completely different. Like I had this uh, innate sense of pride of where I come from, of what my people's belief are. And I was just so proud to be a part of this place, Hawaii. But when I like would go into like a formal setting, I'm like given all these statistics like, oh yeah, you're native. Okay. You're like the most disease, highest risk of incarceration, most undereducated, like all these like crazy statistics that I'm just like, well, that's like bumming me out. So when, when I would see the reactionary things, I was always just maybe a bit confused. And I was, I was just worried about saying something that would more fulfill that negative narrative versus yeah. what I felt like I believed. So I always wanted to, like, I always asked myself, like, in every decision I'm going to make, am I putting energy into that, like, negative stereotype? Or am I putting energy into that positive stereotype? So I, I just, I felt like that was the work. I had to do and, and kind of going back to the surfing versus academia, that kind of what it came down to is like yeah. surfing was a personal thing for me. Academia was a community based thing. So at the end of the day, as much as I want to, and when I started to feel like I was developing myself in, in surfing and getting, I felt respect and being able to surf with these incredible surfers as just like, they were so cool to me and just brought me into surf. Like it was, I don't know, like I still felt, yeah, I got to go to class. Like, like what? It's like pumping. Like I, I remember um, becoming friends with Anthony Walsh, uh, a surfer from Australia, I incredible barrel rider, free surfer, um, and has won contests as well too. And he just is like, let's go surf. And we'd surf these like insane waves, like best, some of the best waves in my life. And, and he's one of the best surfers on the planet still to this day. And I'm watching this like incredible human who's a friend of mine getting these incredible waves i'm like i'm in a surf video right now like I, this is this is the dream you know and, and i'd be like yeah i gotta go to class i gotta go <laughs> and he's like what and he'd be driving me so i'm like dude we, we gotta go. and it wasn't just like <laughs> i'm like, I was like no we gotta go and he, he's like what <laughs> i was like dude we gotta go i'm sorry we gotta go so like i don't know like at a at the end of the day despite feeling a bit of confidence in it that just more maybe more f like encouraged my confidence to want to develop my uh surfing uh ability along the same of my academia because I, I just felt like this this surge of as i got more opportunities in school i was getting more opportunities in surf and i just didn't want to let that go and i i just didn't want to be that guy that was like oh i feel like I could get a killer wave somewhere, but I gave it up for like, yeah. for, I just, I really just hated that. Um, I don't know. I hated that, uh, that way of thinking because I guess the way I grew up, like if I was just to like kind of fall over and follow the, that narrative, I'd be like in jail or something. <laughs> like I, I would, if I just like subscribe to what was being prescribed to me, I, yeah. I'd be like, not 
doing anything. So I, I just always felt like I needed to have a bit of um, a, a bit of uh, what is it like not believing in what's being told to me in, in a way. And that eventually just led to a, a weird opportunity to make it all come together. Yeah, I was going to say, and I'd like to ask you about that in a minute, because obviously that would have really equipped you to basically get to where you are now, where you've managed to combine the two in a really unique way. But before we talk about that, you, you used to really, what well, one thing struck me there. I mean, you're kind of talking about a self-fulfilling prophecy, aren't you there? In, in terms of like your place in the culture and the community that you grew up with and the, and the stories that you're being told about what your fate is you know, like, and how to not conform to that. You also use a really interesting word, reactive, and you use it a couple of times. So what do you mean when you use, what are you, what are you talking about when you're saying like reactive, reactiveness? Are you talking about, because you could, you could put this self-fulfilling prophecy thing on the community itself as well, right? Like, is the, it, so is, is it in re- the reactiveness in response to the stories that the community is being told about what 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 their fate is, if you like? Yeah, I think um, so. I, I'm not I'm not too sure how many people are aware of um, the history of Hawaii, but it all kind of let, coming. Let's assume that everyone's not aware. So please yeah. go into as much detail as you want. Yeah. So um, Hawaii, obviously, I mean, not obviously for some. Well. Hawaii was first um, experienced by the Western world in the late 1700s. And from then on, it began a rapid change in the economy, the religion, um, the society at large. So as that was changing, it all came to a head where in 1893, there was an illegal overthrow um, by a few Americans over sugarcane taxation. They basically were getting, uh, uh, as the Civil War was happening in the United States, Americas weren't um, taxing Hawaii to get sugar, even though it was another country recognized with a king and queen and electricity before the White House and all this stuff. The North wasn't getting sugar from the South. So they got sugar from Hawaii. And that was their kind of, uh, they're in to get a lot of money. And when the war ended in the, the Northern America, United States, tax came back and these businessmen were like, we don't want to pay tax anymore. So how do we stop paying tax? And they're like, well, you, you got to pay tax. You're another country unless like you become a part of the U.S. Ha ha, like a joke. And they were like, wait, what? And then light bulb went off. And over the next like 15 years or so, um, they plotted to overthrow the kingdom. And that's what happened. Um, they illegally overthrew the kingdom by holding, you know, essentially holding Hawaii at gunpoint, um, kind of lying to the U.S. Navy and saying that there's this big action happening and they locked up the queen and there's this big war that was going to happen. And in order for the war to be prevented, the queen went to the United States government and said, hey, okay, I temporarily abdicate my rule to the United States because until this issue is resolved. Like, I trust you folks, hold on to the kingdom and let's figure this out. There, there was a, a breach of trust. The United States ended up going through a lot of negotiation and talks. Fast forward so many years, they just never gave Hawaii back. It, 
over like an issue. It was like some legal thing, whatever. So I, I don't feel like I need to go into the deep histories of what happened in Hawaii. But basically in 1893, Hawaii was the kingdom of Hawaii was illegally overthrown by um, these businessmen. And eventually it led to this illegal occupation of the U.S. government in the kingdom of Hawaii, which under international law still exists today. So there are no treaties of annexation. Uh, there are no uh, formal um, acquisition by the U.S. government of the kingdom of Hawaii. So it's this big like travesty that happened, that occurred. Um, and there's a reaction by the Hawaiian, a lot of Hawaiian people that are uh, on both sides, by people who feel that's unfair, that's an injustice, and people that are like, hey, that's, uh, that's the way it is. Every native's got taken over. You know, there's both sides that are reacting to this event yeah. that happened. And that's what I mean by the reaction. It's being reactive on both sides. Like You're just reacting to what happened. Um, and for me, I, I just even looked at that specific point in time. And I'm like, okay, that happened. We can't change it. So where do we go from here? So that when I don't call myself an American, people aren't weirded out. Because that's what happens like right yeah. now. Like I, I, I just don't even argue it anymore. But I used to get so angry when I was younger. Like to the point I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to become violent because I, I'm, I'm born and raised in an island that's twenty five hundred miles from the nearest America. You know, like I'm, I'm not an American. Like I, I'm, I am a native Hawaiian, a Hawaiian national by law. With U.S. citizenship, which I'm stoked on. Like, why why can't I be both? You know, there's people that have dual citizenships all the time. Like, they don't question them. But when I say, oh, yeah, I, I don't really consider myself American. It's like I'm, like, not patriotic. I'm not grateful. And I'm like, hey, dude, I'm, like, super grateful for the passport. Super stoked. You know, when I'm <laughs> deep in certain parts of, third world countries and i bust out that blue little book front of the line like i i i know that's a privilege and i really appreciate that um i just want to be able to appreciate my other parts of my identity and my heritage that i only know because i don't really know what it means to be an american i only know what it means to be a hawaiian and for me that's that type of um that's the difference for me not wanting to become reactive wanting to uh, figure out how do I, I guess, be most proactive to avoid those conversations if it's going to cause some sort of dispute or to be able to have uh, a preface or at least an understanding to appropriately articulate how I feel. Um, and if people don't get it, at least I know myself, I said everything I had to say and that's all I can do. And yeah. That's I. I mean, I, I try to be that way. Sometimes it's, you know, I'm not like the Zen guru. I, obviously, I have those days where I'm like, fuck those people. But I don't know. Like, I try my best to yeah, not not waste that energy. Yeah, I mean, the, listen to you then. It's not very long ago. No. 1890s. It's like really not long ago. I mean, it's like, so generationally, you would have, I'm sure when you were growing up had connections to people who in living memory could, could remember that. So my, like the, my dad, my dad was born in the territory of Hawaii. 
before it became a state. He was right. raised by his grandparents who were born in the kingdom. Sure. Like, so that's what I mean. So like <laughs> it's and and you know what we're obviously talking about is colonialism, like and the yeah. impact that colonialism has on and it you know we just it's beginning to be spoken about i mean you know like i'm from manchester and manchester's nickname is cottonopolis like now i grew up in being told like i'm very proud of being from manchester as a lot of my friends and listeners will know and you know manchester essentially was the wealth was created by the south like, you know, I only just recently realized that the name Cottonopolis referred to the fact that we imported cotton from the South, like during slavery. Like, I only just realized that. And that is obviously not something that's ever spoken about. And despite the fact it was there in plain sight in the nickname that the city fucking gave itself, you know. So it's just one example of the fact that whether we like it or not, and a lot of people obviously really don't like it. They really don't like being even reminded of this history. Um, the The ramifications of, of colonialism are far reaching and we're only just really, I think, beginning to understand the societal impacts it has because of the very fact that we don't talk about it. You know, yeah. so when I was listening to you then, you know, I know that most of my listeners will not know that history. And I know that most of my listeners will be like pretty horrified to hear that because they don't know it, you know, and all yeah. really you're saying is like, I just want to understand it, you know, yeah. like I, and, and even the fact that you're like having to apologize for having a slightly different opinion about what your identity is. And you've had to clearly spend your life, like, you know, negotiating a tricky conversation on behalf of somebody who ultimately doesn't like the fact you don't want to call yourself an American is one of those ramifications like on a personal level whether people realize it or not so I yeah I mean it's a it's a really particularly now I mean I, I was gonna ask you about Maui anyway but like clearly there are very clear colonial overtones to what's been going on in Maui the last month you know yeah. um, but before we get to that like you the other thing that struck me is um this also coincided with the the white western cultures discovery of hawaiian culture and discovery of surfing and then repackaging that in a, in a way that was almost palatable to, to the west right which is essentially sure. surf culture as we know it now you know sure. like a, you know the obvious like jack london mark twain depictions of surfing and like you know that's also something i assume you've had to navigate like as you as you've you know whether it's personally or or on a wider level like as you've embarked upon this career as a surfer you know th those things are intertwined right yeah yeah I, I yeah i mean the surf culture i i think there's many surf cultures around the world and yeah. i think now that's what I, I like to uh kind of like explore with people is okay what surf culture are we speaking about right now are we speaking about hawaiian surf culture are we speaking about peruvian surf culture chinese australian southern californian east coast Cal uh united states like everyone has this version and you want to see you want to see the version where i live <laughs> yeah well which is interesting you know in in you know when we even talk about there's you know, a lot of people, their their global conversation of surfing starts with Duke Kahanamoku. 
you know, the Duke, the Duke, the Duke. Um, I mean, I, I just, to, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, I've got friends who've called their kid Duke, you know, like be, because of their passion for surfing. Like, yeah, not, from, that's killer. From, yeah. You know, like that's how influential that is, you know. Yeah. You, you know, but Duke Hanamoku wasn't the first person to take surfing out of Hawaii. You know, like the the three princes, these three princes from Hawaii, um, kind of most famous is uh, Prince Jonah Kuhio. He was the first person with his brothers in San Lorenzo Rivermouth in Santa Cruz, California in the late 1800s, 30 years before Duke Hanamoku was even thinking about going out of Hawaii. They're the ones who introduced surfing publicly um, at a, a swimming uh, a, a swimming gala or, or some. I don't I know how they, they spoke a little bit different back in the late 1800s. Uh, but these princes were going to school at San Mateo Military School and they were like, oh, there's a bunch of people down at the beach. Let's bust out our these boards we made out of redwood, paddled right. it down the river and they started surfing and everyone was blowing their mind like, what are these folks doing? And then they went home and then they went to England. And I don't know exactly where, but there's places in England where surfing occurred well before Duke Kahanamoku and, you know, all the whole, the Gidget explosion in Southern California. And I, I think the difference is that really the those who controlled and produced most of the surf uh, communication on a global scale came out of Southern California. And these, these people began to document their perspective on surfing centered around their world. And they began to broadcast it across the planet. And this is what I think is what people can take a, a critical eye and ear to is that although they were broadcasting their messages very loudly across many different uh, disciplines to talk about how the North Shore was pioneered by certain people and how they were given the mana by the Kahuna, Duke Kahanamoku and all that. I, I think it's just important to understand that wasn't the only stories that are being written in surf history in that time. Uh, they just were perhaps the most that were widely adopted because they were the loudest at the time uh, yeah. with um, Hollywood media really having access to, to a lot of that. Uh, and there, there has been a longstanding culture of Southern Californians taking um, film and photography of surfing across the world and, and again, sharing it within their community. But it just so happens Hollywood is the center of, for like the world to look at how stories are shared and told. So yeah. it, it just becomes, whether it's true or not, you're in a place where, that's the spot to listen and it went really far. So yeah, that's kind of for me when I look at, you know, these different um, perspectives and, and perhaps some people might think of it as like, and for me too, a bit of it feels like it's been a bit um, commodified, I guess is the, the nicest way to say it. Um, some people go as far as saying bastardized and prostituted, you know, surf yeah. culture has been taken this form of, and commercialized and it just feels a bit it feels a bit weird for some people i know because hawaiian culture is is an identity in hawaii like i'm not going to argue with anyone to say we are like the first or we invented it I, I know many cultures have been experiencing an art of wave sliding for millennia 
But what I do know is that in my culture, we have uh, built a civilization around standing up and sliding on waves. We have built yeah. uh, identities and philosophies and cosmologies around what it means to wave slide. And yeah, that's that to me is not like uh, in the summer, you know, yeah. like that, yeah, that's yeah. just for me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so how does that influence? So this tension, if, if I can call it that, that we're, that we're talking about, how does that influence you as a professional surfer now making a living in this SoCal centralized industry? Presumably that has a big impact on the, the stories you choose to tell and the decisions that you make. Does that influence the work that you do at the end of the day? Like the awareness of this tension? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, all, all my, uh, all my living doesn't come out. It comes from Southern California, uh, really. So like that just to me again, like I had to just take a long, hard look at this, uh, this beast of a, of a machine and do I hold it? Do I hold this like animosity toward it? Like, Oh, you stole, you took, you took our land, you took our way. You, you like, do I, do I go down that and entertain that philosophy, which I've kind of been indoctrinated into by a lot of my, my peers and, and community members, uh, not, not out of spite. I just know they, they really believe that that, you know, there's been so much distrust and trauma over the years, intergenerational trauma. Do I hold on to that intergenerational trauma or do I become like put myself out there and become vulnerable and say, Hey, how do I become a part of this in a way? And th that to me is like, it took, it, it took some hard look in, in myself because I, I felt I was underground for quite a long time. Like I felt I had, I had the respect of people, um, I, I had no enemies, really. I was cool with everyone from, I mean, from people that come, like people like Kelly and the Irons and like the Hobgoods. And it was like, I was just cool with everyone. And they're like, oh, Cliff's cool. He's just like this like science guy. He's cool. Like, he's cool. Like, I wasn't coming out for no one's waves of the winter. I wasn't taking anyone's contracts. I wasn't fighting for points. I just was like, brother cliff yeah he cool and and you know I, I wasn't a threat and i'm like am i now gonna like it almost like i was like am i like cool because i'm not trying to take any of their lunch like you know i i didn't know what that was like and i had to kind of look at myself um because it really wasn't like surfing came to me like i was just surfing one day and everyone's like you rip let's give you some money it was like I had to make a conscious decision. It's like, okay, I, I started to become, I, I guess now as people were transitioning in their mid twenties, like my peer groups, they're in their mid twenties and they, I started to see the shift. I'm no longer like the hot young ripper. I have to start doing things. I have to start, you know, contributing in new ways. And for me, that was just very interesting. I'm like, Whoa, it's, I'm learning a little bit about it. I'm learning about this way of becoming an employee, um, even if you rip. And I started, I started just to see, whoa, like at a certain point, you can be a good employee and become a professional surfer. 
And I just kind of would look at some of the peer group and be like, what are you doing with your, your, your ability to contribute on a broader level? Yeah. Like, are, are you just so self-centered that you just want to be about you, which those are important. Like, but at the end of the day, you only care about the top one. Who's like that. Like you can be a dick, but you got to be the best dick in the world. You know that. And to me, that's like a, I was never really into that style, but they're important. We need champions and we need those things. I started to see that there's these other people out there that were making a living by contributing, like yeah. contributing to their community, creating new ways of, of, of contributing to the surf culture and the surf industry. And for me, I, I just thought that, Hey, I got this weird thing. Like you got like surfer artists, surfer singer, surfer model, surfer shaper. Like, oh, there's all these interesting characters coming out. Like, you know, I just, I remember looking at Ozzy Wright and just being like, whoa, this guy is such an insanely talented artist. You know, like, like, whoa, like this guy jams music, you know, like, and I was like, wow. And, and it seemed like the, the surf industry was really celebrating their contribution. So I thought, hey, like, I got this weird thing. I'm like doing science. And like, that was like my painting and like and my music. Like, I was like, yeah, I kind of paint and do music. I, I, I do it with molecules. Like, that's kind of my jam. Are you guys into it or not? And I think when I try to express to them like, Hey, I'm, I'm just painting with molecules and trying to have that sort of conversation. They were like, huh, we never thought of it like that because there's a stigma around academia and college in surfing. Um, like, Oh, if you're not good enough, you better go get a job or go to have a plan B like that's, and people are like, Oh, at least you got a plan B you're, you're, you know, and they would always say that. I'm like, I don't, I don't have a plan B. It's like my plan A, like, <laughs> I'm trying to survive in life. Like this is all plan A. I don't have a plan B. Like, (laughs) so I was like really communicating to the initial sponsorships and, and really, I I think they weren't into it at first. The industry was like, we don't get it. That's weird. So I was like, I mean, it is, it is weird for the surf industry, isn't it? And, and sorry to jump in, but one of the things I noticed is like every single article about you, every single interview, is is pretty much like hey it's the science guy you know like like because they've had to understand it in that way like yeah you know like i mean it is literally i did a bit of research last night and outside magazine stab magazine wavelength magazine like every single piece about you is like here he is he's the surfing scientist you know because that's the only way they they can kind of get their head around it isn't it you know i dig it honestly like yeah right well well, it's you know like it's it's like you say it's 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 a way you found of making it work for you isn't it you know yeah i mean i i just i i wanted to contribute something uh something new you know i wanted to be seen as value i, I think at the end of the day like we all just want to we just want to kind of be appreciated you know we want to like feel loved you know and and you when you feel more love then you feel that like you can love more people so that's what that was like my always like my basic human thing i was like look if yeah, and that, that's just that's a fundamental thing. The more you're yeah. loved on, the more you're gonna love other people. And I just I, I wanted to love more people. I just had all this like kind of like anger inside of me from from where I was like kind of was coming from, you know. And I, I just I knew love was the way, and not in like a weird hippie thing, but like for real, like 
my my friends are my my friends are they're they're not really doing so well for those are even still around so i was like i gotta do something in my life you know i want to do something that is right break the cycle like we were talking about yeah yeah prophecy thing yeah yeah i just want to and this is the way and if i seem valuable in my life to other people then then i can like be cooler you know that's just kind of like my goal but yeah anyways that's how the surfing thing kind of came to fruition and um it, it started it was a it was a slog you know i was like okay you're the weird dude we don't really know <laughs> and and i was like okay I'll, I'll be weird i liked it i liked like not fitting into any molds and i i was like and i but that being said too um i was afraid i was afraid that i was gonna be seen as like a wannabe like oh like you're a weird gimmicky guy and i i I didn't really care about other people they thought who didn't know me, but I was a bit nervous of the people who I formed these strong relationships based on just being a person and my surfing with them. I, I was a bit worried that they might see me as like, oh, selling out. Oh, look, Cliff, like trying to like do that. And and I just was a bit nervous about it. And to my surprise, everyone was so cool. It, it almost was like a weird kind of like a, a double take like you know like you're in a hallway and you're kind of like looking at each other and they're like dude are you in the club and i'm kind of like I, I i don't know am i like i think you are I was like, okay cool like, come over here with us and like boom opened up this whole like once you get behind the curtain it was like magazine trips and like photographers and videographers and like trips and some other fun stuff like it was just, just like whoa like this is like kind of a mind overload and i had to really be like fuck i had to look back at the other across the hall and be like wait i still gotta like go to class like you know like, <laughs> so it was like kind of a um it was a, a great um opportunity for me like even in school like they, it was a way that academics was gnarlier than surfing they're all like surfing they're like what that's not yeah i bet that i bet if surfing didn't get the science thing science didn't really get the surfing thing. <laughs> oh not at all and it, it really wasn't until i would say uh the media started to accept my narratives and the ah, stories right. that i was being that's the media, the media accepted me then both immediate were like even more stoked and yeah. because i occupied these seemingly really foreign spaces yeah on either side of this social spectrum it was just so interesting and it became uh kind of like those weird movies where it's like your phone rings and you're talking to like people that you didn't expect to speak to and like i didn't even know some of these people and then all of a sudden it's like people are tripping on where i'm at and i'm tripping like I don't know, like that, that's how it became. And then it started to to really be like, okay, I am contributing to the surf industry and I'm contributing to the science industry. Sometimes I'm contributing to one or more, mo- yeah. one more than the other at any given point. But overall, like throughout my year, I try to uh, divide it. I try to divide it evenly with a quarter system where the winter quarters, uh, the Northern Southern hemispheres alternating. So winter, summer, that's surf focus, spring and fall, that's academic focus. So that gives me a bit of an off season to, you know, quote unquote, train, 
like still surfing, but not on the road. And yeah. then I, I divide half my year in two seasons to try to you know, get really good waves to, to, uh, provide the industry with the necessary services and products that they require for their campaigns or for whatever they need. And that's like my, how I see it as a job. And in my science time, I, I write papers and do science and I teach classes and, and that's what I do. And it, it's so far it's worked out um, kind of nicely. And it looks like it's given you freedom to come up with really interesting ways to combine the two. Obviously yeah. I'm thinking about the reef mapping, yeah. the coral um, awareness, let's call it. You yeah. Know, you are really, seems to me like a really brilliant communicator at how you raise these issues, which clearly have a very serious scientific basis in terms of like what you're actually trying to do and what you try to demonstrate, but then how you make those palatable for like a surfing community, you know, is 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 really thoughtful and i assume that's there's there's a freedom in that now that you've kind of attained this position to be like okay like i've got i've got a pretty good setup here like as you've just described like and i've got a platform like how can i use it it seems like you do that really thoughtfully yeah i, I don't know about freedom i feel like i'm a bit slave to <laughs> to that because it's 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 really like uh it's every it's every day from sun up to sundown into the night like i dream about this stuff you know for me i i want to i want to be a better steward of the ocean and the planet but i want to party too so it's like how <laughs> do i <laughs> you know like it's like and now i feel like it's a bit like well why can't you you're in a position that you're in now you're you're able to do these cool things whatever seemingly cool things for me at least uh, some people think it's probably like oh he's a douchebag like he ain't cool which i i would probably think the same thing too i'm like if i'm a, I, I could see people that hate on me because like what is he even doing and I'm, I'm sorry haters you're right i don't even know what i'm doing but it's <laughs> when it comes down to it like you're i feel like i have no excuse now i have no excuse to uh not want to be a little bit better and, and not kind of just be a pile uh when i go places and i have formal training in things that the world recognizes as solutions so i like if i don't use it i'm i'm kind of kind of fucking up a bit so I, I feel the the responsibility in that um in that space so yeah it's a it's it's every day and it's cool and it's it's, hard. it's work like anything. Once it starts, um, once I, I just don't ever feel like I'm like, it's kind of like a dream and I might wake up. So I'm trying to like dream bigger every day. So, you know, like, uh, when it does transition into another parts of life, which I'm sure it will, um, I'm going to at least know, like I, I did a little something and, you know, when Kevin told me about, this guy Clayton just blowing minds. I maybe I, I could do it in a different way, but you know, like not trying to compare myself to Clay, but just he he made me feel something when I just heard a story about. Him. Yeah, yeah. And well, just, he's he's the product of one path, isn't he? He's the product of one story. Let's call it that. You know, and 
that's like you say that's fine i mean that's what this, that's what the industry is essentially built on like these these the stories about these characters like with this incredible incredibly high level and incredibly like progressive approach like that's that's fine but equally what's good about your story is it shows there are you don't there are different paths like and i think like you say that 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 is also the fact of the matter like when it doesn't last forever i mean and like you said mid-20s is really when you put it i thought you put it really interestingly when you said all right what are you going to contribute now like you know what what story are you going to tell now you know i look at uh, just off the top of my head like the malloys you know like look look at look at they're a great example of this aren't they because they parlayed their very obvious incredibly successful career as professional surfers into something as they've got older like much more you know they've just found different ways whether it's storytelling whether it's activism and that is that is that's a really good thing now i think that or like look at dave rastovich you know like like the path that he was able to take that that the fact that there's room for it the fact that that you are able to tell your story in this way i think is 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 such a positive thing you know yeah and and also i mean dan all the malloys chris keith are incredible servers dan malloy i mean in, in my whatever opinion he he's one of the greatest surfers ever you know and i think you know same with david you know rasevich like they're they're so incredibly talented like on a whole interesting higher level you yeah. know of of seeing the ocean experiencing the ocean and they're contributing on a, a high level outside of it you know like to me that just the bar is so high with just those two individuals you know and to me it makes me think like okay like and that's that's more the surfing side of my my life like they're doing all these incredible things in life and they also will go out there and surf literally from two to 200 foot waves with style and grace and understanding and a reverence and an appreciation and i'm like i I gotta get in that ocean and i have to continue to to contribute in that space too, because at, you know, there's going to be a certain point where people will challenge your narrative, whatever you say, depending on how you exist in the ocean. That that's the philosophy I always grew up in. You can talk on land and say whatever, but when you get in the ocean, it's gonna, the truth is going to come out. And I think that's something that, yeah, it it holds dear to me. And it, it makes me feel like, you know, when I, when I, don't perform or, and not just in the waves, but when I don't perform with a level of respect to like other people in the lineup, sometimes like it does bum me out. You know, I'm not, I'm not this super Zen cool dude. Like I I go through times when I'm, I only have 20 minutes today to, to surf a wave that I grew up surfing my entire life. I dedicated my life to this reef and this home and and everything in my family. And I only have 20 minutes literally only 20 minutes before I go to go all these meetings that I'm talking about surfing and I'm just like, I'm going out there. I'm going to get a wave. And sometimes, you know, someone else wants a wave too. And that same time, that's just the nature of the beast. And you know, there's, there's times when I'm just like, Hey, like I don't want no issues. And there's people that I don't, they, they want issues. And it's like, Hey, are you, I can be obliged to give you issues. I don't want to, you know, and, (laughs) it bums me out 
if I cross that line, because it's not just about riding the waves really well. It's about, you know, riding that, that energy of, of the lineup. And, and sometimes I falter and I kook out, you know, and I have shockers. So like, yeah, it's those people like Dan and Dave, um, that, that really try to, I feel like I, yeah, I, they're inspirational for sure. In and out of yeah. the water. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for your time today, Cliff. I've really, really enjoyed this. I'm really glad that we, that we, that we got it together to, I mean, we've been talking yeah. for a couple of months now. Yeah. It's yeah. Been, been my bad really. Um, uh-huh. I wanted to, I wanted to end if that's all right by, um, asking your reflections about what's been going on in Maui, like mm. just from the perspective of the conversation that we've been having, you know, like, is that something you'd feel comfortable with? Um, I mean, I'll speak on Maui for sure. I, um, it, it is, a. I haven't actually spoken on it on social medias or, or anything. And I haven't actually done anything really on social medias or, um, I don't know, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to, to feel like I should be promoting anything that I'm up to when something like that happens. Um, so it's always a bit, yeah, it's just a tricky thing that I know a lot of my community members are, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of uh, conversation. There, there's a lot of uh, thinking about what are the steps forward. It, it's a huge effort. And I, I feel like uh, I, I do feel a bit lost in, in that. You know, I don't know what how I can best serve in that space. I'm not from that part of Hawaii. I have strong relationships and strong history, specifically there with, with family members there. Um, but part of me wants to, part of me wants to believe whether it's true or not that my family there and my community, extended community there. Uh, can do it and they're gonna they're gonna get through this extreme challenge and and i want them to be able to get that victory for themselves and and whatever i can do to help with their victory i would like to and i would hope others would want to do that too um that it's a tragedy that existed in lahaina and i think the people of lahaina should should feel what it what it feels like to come through it because I, I know they will uh, as long as others don't intentionally sabotage that if that makes sense yeah yeah it does yeah hey well thanks man i really really enjoyed that today uh yeah. what's, what's on for the rest of your friday uh probably unpack from my last trip and and get to bed get ready for the weekend So there you go. That was me and Cliff Capono and I hope you enjoyed it. My thanks to Cliff for coming on the show and to Eski for the intro. And speaking of Eski, soon as we finished recording, Cliff made the very fair point that for him, Eski was easily as influential as Rasta and the Malloys and that her way of combining surfing and academia has also been one of the biggest influences of, of his career, which is a completely fair point. And as I was saying it, I was like, oh, I've, I've just listed men there, which is probably quite telling. So thanks, Cliff, for uh, reminding me of that. And thanks for coming on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it. Leave a comment on the Substack page or my Instagram page at We Look Sideways. A lot of people shared the Thomas Campbell episode of the week. And I got a lot of 
really brilliant feedback on that not least from thomas himself who appeared to really enjoy it and who was incredibly generous with that on instagram so if you did listen to that and you did enjoy it thanks very much for letting me know it reminded me that i really do need to get better at this promo thing um because people you know when people share stuff lo and behold more people discover the podcast and i get more reasons to keep doing this and i do get messages daily telling me to keep it up keep at it and all that stuff um, so there's even more of a reason to share via Substack these days as well, because if you share something five times, so for example, this episode, there's a button on the Substack page which says share, um, share it five times, you know, five surfers in your life that might enjoy it and those people sign up, you get three months paid subscription free, um, which is nice and pretty simple. I kind of brought that in because I do get a lot of messages from people saying things like I love the show I can't really afford it which is cool I'm you know I get that but I am offering ways to get in the paid thing for free as I explained now I am nine months into the paid subscription revolution and I can say it really has been transformative for looking sideways not least for me I was just interviewed for pod bible magazine that does exist actually one of the nicest things about this summer is that the nascent podcast industry um has started to pay attention to Little Old Looking Sideways in a very minor way. That's basically because I've got a couple of brilliant supporters in that game, in Fran, who's one of the editors of Pod Bible, and Naomi Mella, who's also involved in the the kind of industry side of things. Fran did a little interview with me for Pod Bible last week. And in that, I did mention how transformative Substack's been for the podcast for a number of reasons. Firstly, because how it's provided such a brilliant platform for the Looking Sideways community as evidenced by last week's open thread, which had some brilliant contributions from members of said community. Secondly, because of how it's enabled me to expand the Looking Sideways universe by kind of going back to my roots as a journalist and writer. So, you know, I'm putting articles out every Tuesday, either from me or either from friends or guests of the show, um, which I think is is really a great addition. Um, And it's just also... On, a, on another level been great seeing supporters of the show sign up for paid subscriptions and get in touch to tell me like how much it means to them how it's helped them and how they're happy to support it i sent my paid subscribers a copy of looking sideways volume one in july and i emailed everyone basically saying you know if you get in this you're a paid subscriber like thanks for support i'm going to send you a book to say thanks and that was just amazing because i probably sent well over a hundred emails a lot of paid subscribers had already bought it, so it was going to the people that hadn't bought it. And pretty much everyone replied and sent me these really nice notes saying how much it meant to them, how happy they were to support it and, you know, to keep it up. So that was great. Um, and it's also been fascinating seeing who actually reads it, um, which is why I was so understandably chuffed to get a note from none other than Jeremy Jones of Jones Snowboards fame and much more, obviously. Friend of the show, had him on the show a few years ago who is a subscriber and who apparently does read them. And I know this because Jeremy sent me a very nice note recently saying, yes, keep it up, keep up the amazing work. I'm quoting here. Your voice adds much needed depth to the shallow world of action sports. Obviously, I used that very kind message to jump on it and ask him if he'd come on the show again, which he said he'd absolutely be honoured, I think was his word. So that was, you know, it's a really lovely thing to get that kind of um, encouragement from somebody who's so influential in our game. So I'm stoked is the short version so if you're a paid subscriber or a free subscriber thank you much appreciated it's also given me and i can't actually believe i'm about to say this an idea for another book yeah 
I said it, Looking Sideways, Volume 2. Um, this one came f- to me last night in bed by 11 o'clock. Basically, had a few beers. Mine was um, trucking along. And I thought, oh, actually, I could do that. So I'm just going to not say much more than that, but it would be pretty different from Looking Sideways, Volume 1, and be based much more upon the written word than Volume 1 was. But I'm I'm into it. Um, and I think also it would be such a different format I'm thinking of. It would be a lot cheaper because um, I know the price of Looking Sideways, Volume 1, scared a lot of people off. So the scars have just about healed enough for me to be thinking about a new book although of course I'll have to get the announcement the documentary series I'm currently working on about the Chouinard's decision to give Patagonia away finish first I'm making some good progress on that obviously trying to write a huge ambitious three-part audio documentary series while also trying to renovate a house and some land in France with a really dodgy internet connection um, has meant progress was a little slower than I hoped but episode one is finished um I'm scripting them all first believe it or not I don't script these and episode one is currently with Patagonia because I need to get them to sign off the tone before I carry on with any more I mean I'm going to carry on regardless and I'm already writing episode two and uh, which is surely slowly taking shape even but before I actually start recording anything obviously I need Patagonia to be into the tone which hopefully they will be um as with all the best creative pro- projects, this one is beginning to take on a life of its own. As I, un- oh, there we go, the rain. As I work out the issues and topics I want to explore, and that's in itself a really enjoyable experience. Although fuck knows when it'll be finished. So yeah, that's happening. So I probably need to get that done before I start thinking about another book. Good to have ideas though, isn't it? So what else is going on? Yeah, back to France in two weeks for more work on the gaff and the land and more problem solving with how to manage the water on the land and the building fuck me those old french builders made some weird decisions um but as i said to cliff i'm enjoying being a beginner and having the blinkers come off at this very late stage in my life all right that's it for this week have a good one and i'll be back soon nice one